For November 29th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 126. They'll get past it. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink all manner of things, but today is a very sad day in the land of uh, overthinking it, uh, in the land of anyone born in the 80s, because the star of the Naked Gun films, uh, of Airplane, and of dozens and dozens of other films, as we've discovered by hastily reading his IMDb page, Leslie Nielsen... (laughs) Uh, is no longer with us. Uh, he died, I guess, today. As we record this, it is Sunday, the twenty eighth, and he is um, uh, he has passed on to that uh, to that great air traffic control center in the sky. So, uh, in honor of Mr. Nielsen, whose films were all had a uh, formative effect on all of us, uh, the question of the week is: Surely you can't be serious. Um, which is not, ne- technically speaking, a question, but work with me here, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, in alphabetical order, we go through the panel. Peter Fenzel, surely you can't be serious. Oh, like Leslie Nielsen, I can be serious for a very long time before making a career switch into a successful comedy <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most amazing things about that guy. It was just, because he's such a straight-up, like, square-jawed, old-timey actor. Um and I guess it isn't up until he does Police Squad in that neck of the woods, or maybe maybe some stuff a little bit before then, uh, that he sort of drops the kind of super serious uh, characteristic and and uh, and becomes a a comic of the first caliber. Uh, yeah, I mean, this I'm actually really moved and really sad because I really love Net Leslie Nielsen. Um, even his latter day stuff, like Mr. Magoo, uh, kind of does it for me sometimes because he's he's a guy who knew knew his craft. Uh, but I'm looking through right right now, and other than like a couple episodes of Who's the Boss. And uh, the Golden Girls, like, what was he doing that was serious before? You know, because Who's the Boss is pretty serious. Uh, oh, like, movies like, he was in, like, Highway to Heaven and Murder, She Wrote and a movie called The Patriot, which is a different one. He was in I don't know. movie. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about stuff he did that was more serious. Oh, he was in like, Poseidon, Poseidon Adventure. And, uh... Yeah, yeah, because you're saying surely he can't be serious or I can't be serious or anyone can't be serious. And I said, no, you can be serious. Like that is my response to that question. You, you can be a funny person and still have the capacity to be serious. You can make a movie called Cave-In where you play a person named Joe Johnson. Okay, maybe that wasn't serious. Yeah. But uh... – <laughs> Yeah, well, my, I, I had a professor in college who used to say that the, the correct opposition is not between funny and serious. The correct opposition is between – between uh, funny and solemn and serious and frivolous. And indeed, there's much solemnity that is entirely frivolous. And many funny mm-hmm. things are very serious indeed. So I think we should make a two-by-two two matrix with those two axes <laughs> actually, and yeah, populate it with movies. You could. You could come on the These Effing Teenagers podcast, which, uh, which I started actually. We recorded it right after this one last week. And I said, welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. Oh, F it. <laughs> and then we just- <laughs> are, are we doing the same? Are we releasing them the same day now? Is that well, what's no, going on? No, it's not. The, we're, we are not uh, – Sheila and I are not nearly as reliable as this podcast is. This oh. podcast uh, has you know, put out an episode every Sunday for over two years now and uh, – well, every Monday morning, that is to say, uh, for over two years now. And we, um, we're keeping going. We're not even stopping for the holidays, Thanksgiving this week or uh, uh, Christmas and New Year's and stuff. We, wait, we, uh, wait. We're not – 
We're not taking a break for the holidays? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am deadly serious, in fact. Oh, man. Um, excellent. Mark Lee, surely you can't be serious. I am serious. Um, climate change is a serious problem. We should start doing something <laughs> about it now, or else we're going to be in a lot of trouble pretty soon. Yep. That's about it. Okay, we never talk about, we never talk about the important stuff. <laughs> we never talk about the important stuff like climate change in this podcast. And frankly, I'm really disappointed in us. We have a large audience and they need to be educated on the subject. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be, uh, you know, I'm, my apartment in uh, New York City is going to be under 10 feet of water in, I don't know, like 20 years or something. Or I'm going to have to run really, really fast away from the ice because that's what happens <laughs> in the day after tomorrow. And I really, I, I'm not in that good shape. I'm not going to be able to run the ice. I am serious. I, yeah, but you're a, you're a dedicated city bicyclist now, and so you could. Oh, oh you're right. So I, I can bike away from the ice. Yeah, you can bike away. Done, from the ice. done, and done. Just Thanks. make sure well, you let me wear, ask- a, wear a, <laughs> a, a helmet and wear one of those orange vests so that you know motorists don't uh, run you down. <laughs> Forget the motorists, or the wolves and the ice that run me down. Wolves, ice. Yes, I'm sorry. You're you're trying to escape ice. Oh, Pete, you had a question. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, I wanted to ask Mark for his ten question, ten second answer to the question. Do you actually think that humanity has it in them to do something about climate change? Or, no, or, I really don't actually. Not even either. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right, just selfish it. jerks, and it's not going to get fixed. All so right. everybody better build some build some dikes and some windmills. Oh, we need no. We need uh, we need shoulder pads because in the post apocalyptic future, shoulder Ooh. pads are very useful articles of clothing. I, are we going to be in, yeah. spikes? Yes, rollerblades because it's like pride of the roller boys. <laughs> pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Jordan Stokes, surely you can't be serious. <laughs> Insert random Heath Ledger Joker reference here. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Why so metatextual, Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all I got. If you thought I was going to follow that up with something, you were wrong. <laughs> where did you get your scars, person. Jordan? Tell us where you got your scars. Where did you get your scars? And moving on. Hi, <laughs> right, guys. Matthew, rather, surely you can't be serious. Okay, you got me. I'm not serious. Uh, anything we want to say about Leslie Nielsen before uh, uh, before we move on to I don't know what? Well, nobody's going to answer it straight up, right? Which is, um, how does it exactly go? I am Surely. serious. Can't be serious. I, am I am serious. Ser- and stop calling me Shirley. Yeah, don't call me Shirley. Something like that. Oh, it's so sad. And he was, he was white-haired so relatively young uh, that you thought that he wasn't actually going to get old. Because he sort of like flattened out, but it yeah, turns he out had, that he got distinguished, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. He's always distinguished, definitely. Well, years, uh, even even well into his silly film career, he was playing Clarence Darrow on uh, in a like a one man touring show of um, of I don't know the uh, the words of Clarence Darrow or something about the Scopes Monkey mm-hmm. Trial. Right, right, right. I think right, his right. show was called Darrow Tonight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything about anything about the genre of comedy that he exemplified in, in which I'd lump, you know, airplane, uh, the the uh, the Naked Gun movies, maybe the Police Academy movies. Um, we we don't see a lot of films like that anymore. Or if they well, we do. They're called uh, you know uh, what Scary Movie scary Four movie, date movie, and Date Movie which Four. He was, in. he was in Scary Movie Four. Leslie Nielsen. But yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, well, the, so the one thing to note is that so there's the the the, the quote unquote the Zucker school of comedy, right? Which started with Kentucky Fried Movie, and then they went on to do Airplane and the Naked Gun movies, and kind of at a certain point, maybe somewhere around like wrongfully accused or maybe um, Mafia exclamation point. Jane Austen's uh, Mafia. Jane like Austen's Mafia. Line. Yes, yeah. you like that? I was, uh, well, let's... I like the fact that it exists. The movie actually is not much fun to watch, but I like the title. I like Jane Austen's <laughs> that's a, that's Mafia. That's a different thing. Yes. Liking, yeah, exactly. liking that something exists and liking it are two very different things. Yeah. Um, yep. So that kind of that, that, that started Fun-a-mo. the tail off, and then who? What the the Wayans brothers picked it up, um, and have carried on to uh, much greater heights. And by greater heights, I mean uh, date movie four. Well, right? so yeah. basically, it's like in the gutter now, whereas before. Uh, it, both, you know, with Leslie Nielsen and the Zucker brothers, you know, at the at the helm of it, it was something really worthwhile. Well, and the Zucker brothers are still involved. One of the Zuckers is the executive producer, I think, of all the scary movies. Is oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Awkward. Oh yeah. man. Well, that, actually, <laughs> that was that was a that was a moment of silence for the comedic sensibilities of whichever Zucker brother that is. <laughs> well, well I mean, another interesting note about the Zucker brothers as well. I don't know which one, but one of them is uh, very much involved in right wing politics and uh, put on a movie, uh, The American Carol. Does anybody remember that was this? By a Zucker brother? That was I'm, one pretty, of those I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, basically, it's like an anti Michael Moore. Yeah, which is dumb. You don't need to make an anti Michael Moore movie because Michael Moore is already ridiculous. So it's like, why are you making? It's like it's like the Brady Bunch movie. It's like you don't need to make a parody of the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch are already a joke, so you're not really pl- plowing any new ground by parodying a parody. So that's that's what insulted me about uh, American Carol. Not that it was like uh, Fraser Crane as George S. Patton's ghost, uh, <laughs> and, and, and like pandering to such a lowbrow sensibility. Just just that, like you know, it, I mean, what would be? Are there are there like liberal parody movies that are analogous to American Carol, or is that pretty much the only one of that sort? Oh. I mean, do you think that Stephen Colbert is unnecessary because Glenn Beck is already ridiculous? Um, well, he wasn't, no. ma- he wasn't all, meant no, to no. be Glenn Beck. Oh, Bill no. O'Reilly, sorry. Yeah, I don't think Bill. I think Stephen Colbert is significantly more ridiculous than than Bill O'Reilly. But also, I think he's not a specific parody. I mean, I guess if he called himself like O Smiley, and was he's exactly a pretty like, specific parody of Bill O'Reilly. He has his own character, though. I think no, but there are like specific character. segments from Bill O'Reilly's uh, show that he like the bullet point thing that he does is modeled off a of Bill O'Reilly segment. Well, yeah, but it, but the people in the Brady Bunch movie are all the same characters, all the same names, doing all the same things. All right, but we're talking about uh, American Carol versus Michael Moore, right? Not right, about where, where like the main character is like, is he is he actually have Michael Moore's name um, in it? Because he looks like Michael. He's played by Chris Farley's brother, right? The name um, of the character is Michael Malone. Okay. All right. And I guess part yeah. of the funny of it is supposed to be that you're making fun of – I mean I, I, do, I, do, I disagree that – I think that Stephen Colbert's character is different enough from Bill O'Reilly that the show stays interesting um, even, even, even though and – and also Bill O'Reilly is – a lot of people do take him seriously. Whereas I, I mean I guess people do take Michael Moore seriously. Maybe that's the problem is that I don't have enough respect for Michael Moore to think that that parodying him is worth a wild pursuit. Not that I don't think he does, you know, work, but just that he is like a, a hilarious personage. <laughs> also, I think cartoon. that one of the things about parodies is that very often if a parody comes out that is terrible, the response to that is, well, there was no need to parody this. Whereas mm-hmm. if a parody comes out and it works, then people will say, well, I, you know, I guess there was a need for that. Like mm-hmm. maybe the problem is not them parodying Michael Moore. Maybe it's that it's poorly done. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's room in in uh, popular culture for a really sharp and like you know hilarious parody of Michael Moore that would be worth making, but 
just the fact that it's a parody is not going to do it. So like with Stephen Colbert, the fact that it's a, I, I think, a very note-for-note Bill O'Reilly parody, like just what you said, there's enough things that he does to make it interesting, and therefore it's not boring. Yeah. Right. Is it like I, it, when, you, when you break it down like that, it doesn't seem so profound. But maybe that's all that it is. Right. That like he is interesting. Therefore, it's OK. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the differences between a good parody and a bad parody is that a good parody demonstrates why it needs to exist and comes up with something worth parodying. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas like making fun of Michael Moore for being fat or mm-hmm. for like being like bumbling in general or unkempt is like. Or like making fun of the brave bunch for being like smiley and like and like not taking things seriously, um, you know the, these are not the, these these are not for, to me traits that that require parody because they are the ridiculous traits that are already apparent in the source material and also just that that people don't have such esteem for these individuals that they would they would gloss over or, or look away from these things right there's there's the element of the, the flaw that the object of parody has that people don't want to talk about because they respect the object of parody too much um you know like the impotence of the rich man and like you know, all the classic comedic uh, genres uh, genre work um and it's like oh we get to talk about it here because here it's safe to talk about and we can in our little play we can have like the servant and the rich man's wife like getting it on because the rich man is impotent and they can all do mask work and run around and it's funny uh, part of why it's funny is because we're not allowed to tell the guy to his face that he's an unsatisfying lover. If it were a reality that we all had, that we had to face, then then it's like, oh, it's it's not really it's not really funny, right? Like you couldn't do a very good uh, comedy that's set in like an impotence clinic, and the big yeah. joke is that the various patients who are coming in because they're impotent are in fact impotent. No, you'd have to tw- put a twist on it. You wouldn't be able to parody the impotence people. You'd have to bring in somebody who like isn't impotent and like see what they do there. Because you need to show something different than the thing that you're you're thinking that you're parroting. You need to spread the field a little bit more. Um, like I, I can see, I can see a, Johnny Knoxville making that movie. I can see yeah, Johnny Knoxville as like the one guy in the Ibbins Clinic whose penis works. Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 he, and he like and he gets with all the nurses. Yeah, exactly. And then they jump off of a building. With like a, uh, <laughs> like a title, please, for this, you know? Uh, oh. Shooting blanks. <laughs> okay. that was, you had that on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> and the guy, no, Gary, you're right to me. And the guy, and the guy's name is like uh, uh, Richard Blanks or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Dick wow. Blanks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I was, I was trying to figure out something with like the sin of Onan in it, or, or you know what I mean. Or, the sin of Onan was Onan impotent? No, he. I mean, uh, he's not. He he was um, quite potent. Uh, and he spilled his seed on the ground. Okay. So why would that be the name of the movie? I don't know, because he could spill seed. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know like, where you t- went to screenwriting school, but if you're going to have one guy in the impotence clinic who is, in fact, potent, you don't have him spend the movie masturbating. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> That's not funny at all. Now. What you do have him do is you have him uh, have one of his eyes gouged out and have a crow that sits on his shoulder for the entire movie. That's how you do it. That's, you do, wow. Then you have this giant's head that gets chopped off and gives prophecy. It's, uh, <laughs> I feel like the key to this is to make it as odinocentric as possible. Uh, <laughs> odinocentrism is, is an under is an <laughs> filmic trope. Um, definitely, definitely. Wodan. Hey, can we bring us back to, um, to Leslie Nielsen for a second? I was going to ask about Bulgarian Opera. Okay, fine. We can go back to Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> so we often say in the Overthinking It podcast that we like actors that work, yes. right? You know, it's, it's our way of saying that, you know, we don't want to be that, you know, much. The, we don't want to be too much of the, the drinking of the haterade, 
right? And we, we criticize various actors and 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 so we are the product, not the we are uh, not the freaking AV club. Is is not, uh, that's that's the way to put it, right? And <laughs> as much as we poo poo on Sam Worthington, for example, right? At the end of the day, we'll be like, okay, at the end of the day, he's an actor that works, and therefore, like. You know, some props to him, right? Hey, parts you know, is no but <laughs> <go ahead>. parts <laughs> is parts. Parts is parts. So, do we apply that to Leslie Nielsen as well? Who, towards the end of his career, made uh, let's be honest, was in a lot of bad movies. I don't know if you can say he made a lot of bad movies. He was in a lot of bad movies. Does that in any way diminish either his previous output, which was of higher quality, like Airplane or Naked Gun movies? Or and or does that make uh, is that, is there anything to say about? an actor who chooses to be in those types of movies, whether he is exercising bad judgment in any way. Well, you got to say, uh, I think you got to define your terms. You know, if you say that Leslie Nielsen was in a lot of bad movies, I think you need to, to say what you mean by a lot, what you mean by bad, and, and in some sense what you mean by movies. But, <laughs> but, but not that latter one so much. If, if by a lot you mean two, and by bad you mean that- uh, not that great, and by movies you mean bowls of brain flakes <laughs> he was and, yes in a lot of bad he had movies. a lot of bad movies every morning yeah, yeah exactly. Matt, why you gotta be so pedantic huh <laughs> why you gotta be so freaking pedantic i mean that i you know i i guess i should go back on on uh, imdb but it seems like the early part of the career you know churning out five disaster movies or whatever kind of matinee idol stuff he was doing before far outweighs at least in terms of number of films the later career when he went to those comedy movies. Oh, and I wanted to... I, I, w- I would like to come back to comedy movies eventually, but let's talk about Leslie Nielsen. Um, you know- <laughs> sure, what, I mean, what I'm referring to, right, I was not saying he made a lot of bad movies. I'm saying towards the end of his career, uh, the, the quality of movies that he was in dropped substantially, right? You know, I'm, like ta- I'm talking about like old. I'm talking about the Mr. Magoo stuff. I'm talking about, to some extent, wrongfully he accused. He likes Mr. Magoo. He- <laughs> But, but most of the critical consensus was that it was not so great. The, okay, uh, and the Wayans, the Wayans brothers. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, uh, no, it doesn't. Like, I don't know what people think about actors, and I'm not talking about about you, Mark. I'm talking now, I guess, about a, a sense that you hear in the press of like, oh, this person's making bad decisions. You know, the mortgage doesn't freaking pay itself. And uh, it's not like um, any actors other than, I don't know, George Clooney and not even him these days uh, can snap their fingers and get a, a movie built to order. You know, like you gotta you gotta take what's out there. I mean, that is to say the domain of your choice is is delimited, you know, by by the films that people are willing to make and willing to uh, to cast you in. So sure. if, if it's a choice between Mr. Magoo and um uh, I don't Defaulting know. on your on your loan payments. Yeah, exactly. Or like, <laughs> well, like you know, I don't know not going home. not going to yeah, sitting around at home or not going even if it's just not going to St. Bart's this year. I say, do Mr. Magoo, go to St. Bart's. <laughs> Life is for the living. Parts is parts. Yeah, and, and for the record, I'm I'm for the I'm for the most part in agreement with you. I am as as is often the case in the overthinking it podcast, kind of throwing an underthinking it softball to the group <laughs> so they can, you know, you can lob one out of the park. It's, I mean well, my, my take my take so on continue. This, Somebody else has wants to keep going on that, but I had a different take on, on that whole issue, um, which is I love it when movies take risks, and I love it when movies don't get chopped and, and cut up within an inch of their lives so that all of the wonderful little found objects in them go away. And, and so these catalogs of like the later works 
of great performers are kind of wonderful because they're full of all sorts of like discoverable moments. Like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe repossessed his exorcist parody, like, isn't that great? Um, but it's got its moments, I'm sure. And I'm sure if you were to watch it, you would find one or two scenes that wouldn't exist if this movie didn't exist. And, and they'd be really fun and cool. And, and like the, the person I really think of when I think about all this is Bob Hope. Right. And like all the like road movies and like the, the movies about horse racing and he's playing golf and he's telling, the jokes to all the troops and he's like bob hope kept doing his thing for such a long time long after the um the sense that what he was doing was like new and exciting kind of kind of ran out but it's, it's something that brings joy to people and it, and also just like i like that there's a lot of bob hope to watch i like that there's a lot of leslie nielsen to watch and if there if we had insisted that every movie he made be like naked gun two and a half which also let's be honest occupies a pretty specific place in the audience's tolerance for such things like i think i think the naked gun movies are great i love them a lot but they also are lucky because the other movies i mean not those are movies that are seen as bad are not necessarily that much worse than the Naked Gun movies. Um, and it just whether they connect with the audience or not, in the moment or not, you know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot of screwball comedy. In it. Well, hang on. What's our criteria for? What's our criteria for goodness and badness? If like a successful comedy is actually not better than an unsuccessful comedy, that's a good question. I mean, um, you could say, is it funny? You know, you could say, is it well structured? You could say, is it well performed? You could say, when I said. Well, yeah, but when I say uh, successful, I don't mean with the audience. I mean succeeding in being funny, well-structured, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I guess if you if you take the audience out of the equation, the audience reaction to it, then you can probably find a lot of differences. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, guess... I watched a fair number of the latter-day Leslie Nielsen movies, and although they have their charms, I do think that like there's a lot that's wrong with them in terms of the timing, in terms of how well the jokes are written, and so on. I don't Speaking necessarily... ill of the dead, Jordan. Speaking ill of the dead. <laughs> I don't no. necessarily blame Leslie Nielsen for that. You know, like a yep. lot of it is the editing and the writing. I feel like where he's like putting himself out there, and they are failing to support him. Um, but. You know, just to say they were they were really just as good or really almost just as good, I feel like, is whitewashing it a little bit. Yeah, no, that is true. I was overstepping it a little bit. But I do think that there's a little bit of magic in those really great Leslie Nielsen movies that is a product kind of of luck as well as of craft. Um, and that maybe maybe there were some other things that could have been as good. But I guess you can't really go into something like Spy Hard thinking that it's going to knock the doors <laughs> off of everything. Like, <laughs> It's pretty all right. Spy Hard is not so bad, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> two thousand one. Uh, what is the two thousand one's of Space Oddity? Or it's a uh, it, that one is really bad. I remember watching that movie. Oh my space, god, two thousand one Space Travesty. To be specific. Space Travesty. Yes, that one is that one's pretty terrible. Uh, which, but which is the one wrongfully accused is the one where Ray Charles is driving the bus, right? That one was pretty great. It's like a fugitive parody, and like Ray Charles is driving the bus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. oh no, it's funny because he's blind. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is funny because he's blind, but that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I don't begrudge them that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess you know, I, it's almost like I could take all those movies and like put them in a strainer and like maybe get one make a gun movie out of like ten of them. But uh, but I'm still glad that that movie exists, even if it's in like sort of fragmented pulp form, like spread out in a bunch of like sort of spoiled, more toxic brews. I don't know. I like that stuff. Well, let me let me take this in a slightly different direction here because I'm looking at the summary for 2001: A Space 2001 colon. A space travesty. Got to 
Pronounce it all the, all the way through. Um, and it says that Steve Leslie Nielsen once again plays a bumbling detective in the vein of the Naked Gun movies, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So to me, what I'm reading here is that basically, so one of the obvious reasons why this movie probably failed is because it was trying to do exactly what the Naked Gun had done. Well, not just the Naked Gun, but three Naked Gun movies had already done. And so in other words, like, you know, this sort of character had been, you know, they'd already gotten all that they could get out of Leslie Nielsen playing a bumbling cop in it right which then leads me to the the other thing i was thinking about sort of revising the original sort of devil's advocate question that i'd put out there before which is that um when an actor sort of gets typecast in a certain role or a certain genre what you can say that leslie nielsen got typecast or was pigeonholed in this sort of spoof parody genre right so what does that say about the actor and any choices or agency that they have over this sort of uh, you you know uh, identity that they form like that I mean, I, there are other reasons why 2001 A Space Travity, Travesty is bad other than, like, it's trotting re, tr- ground that's been trotted before. Uh, I mean, the guy's, the guy's name is Richard Dix. D- Richard Dick Dix is the name of the main character, which we've already addressed as, as hilarious, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like the shoe is on the other foot now. I'm getting proven wrong left and right and having to eat my crow. But, uh, but yeah, so, so what you're saying is that as an actor, like as an artist actor, rather than as a professional working actor, um, you should be seeking ways to keep your work fresh, and you shouldn't be willing to be paid to do the same thing over and over again. To some extent, yeah. But let's, yeah. let's for the sake of the argument, sure. No, for the sake of argument. And of course, the counter to that is that, like, well, this is actually what Leslie Nielsen does really well, and he does it better than almost anybody else out there. Uh, and he, at this point, is pretty old. Like, that movie, I mean, that movie was made 10 years ago, but he was still over 70 at the time. Yep. Uh, so he's like, uh, he's well past when many people have retired. And so it's really not necessarily a, a tall order. It's like a pretty tall order to ask him to do like a, a full on movie because doing shooting a movie is a pretty grueling, uh, grueling thing to do. So shooting a movie in your seventies and eighties is probably not the most pleasant thing to do. Uh, and you sort of can't push the envelope as much. I don't know. Matt 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 works in in uh, in the biz, so to speak, or like pursues that sort of thing. Like you've been on, you've been on movie shoots. Like you had your experience with uh, seventy and eighty year old actors. Like do you, does the lack of sort of physical wherewithal come to really limit the work that you can yeah. do? You know, when you're on your eighth day of night shoots, you know, six p.m. to six a.m. or whatever, uh, that'll take a toll on anybody. And if you're you're um, I don't know if you're you're not at kind of peak condition anyway. It's uh, it's pretty grueling. It, it you know it's pretty Wait, grueling. Peak condition or peak condition? Peak condition or peak condition? <laughs> peak condition is the same thing as peak condition in my. You can uh, you can buy my five part peak conditioning series. Uh, it'll 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 give you a six pack and long flowing locks. That's how it'll work. You get conditioned everywhere where it counts. Oh, wait, that came out wrong. The long flowing locks will be growing out of the six pack. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's it's the old braided tummy braided tummy rug that everybody wants these days. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that that is kind of like I mean, we could also say if, since we're doing sort of thought experiments here, like yes, we can make the the justification for Leslie Nielsen's older work that he was past retirement age and as such like should not have been called upon to to make like the greatest physical piece of physical comedy ever made um in in his and, later cuz what and if called upon he should not have agreed to serve exactly but he still did his best and it was and it was not unwatchably terrible um and so people still paid for it and he still got paid for it and he still got to go to you know pay for his medicine and all the other stuff and that's fine so <laughs> 
<laughs> but like, you know, what if Leslie Nielsen had, what if like human lifespans were different and Leslie Nielsen had had like another 30 years where he was totally like vigorous after starting his comedic career fairly late in life anyway. Um, like, is it, st- would it, st- I still don't think it would be bad that in addition to some good movies, and here's another reason is that like everybody makes a lot more than what you see. Right, and this is why I, uh, when I, why I always sort of raise an eyebrow a little bit. Like when people talk about Christopher Nolan, they're like, oh, Christopher Nolan is a sure thing, only makes good movies. And it's like, well, I want to see all of the drafts that Christopher Nolan didn't publish or didn't shoot, right? Like I want to see all the drafts he and his brother worked on or whatever. Yeah, or all the crappy, the crappy student films or whatever or the, yeah. you know, like um, – yeah, exactly. That, that's a good point, Pete, that we um – we're sort of used to everything being such a damn event, you know, that in, in, in the media that like just, you know, the, the idea of artistic production and you win some and you lose some is, is lost, right? Well, yeah, because there's so many people that are doing so much right. that we have the luxury of cutting out a lot of it yeah, and like only showing people in peak condition and stuff. So on uh, well, I wish we yeah, could only yes. show people in peak condition. Grr, yes, with a with a braided tummy tummy rug. That's how it goes. <laughs> Dreadlocks. Um, are the are the Will Ferrell comedies in some ways a successor to the? And I'm thinking of like Anchorman and and its ilk, and then some other things that he's been involved in, like uh, Zoolander and things like that. Are those the um, uh, the successors to uh, uh, to what's it called to the the uh, Zucker Brothers comedies? Well, they don't, they don't feel the same, that's for sure. Well, what's, mm. Yeah, and I don't think so either. And I, I'm wondering if we can get at the difference a little bit. Mm. I mean, I would, I would say the Will Ferrell movies feel more like a successor to like a John Candy comedy. Um, I, I think the Zuckers always have a certain amount of absurdity built into – I guess there's absurdity in all of these, so that's not a good qualifier. You have to find a, a sort of finer pine on it. But just the suspension of disbelief is so huge in a Zucker Brothers movie. All right, and like uh, like when Reggie Jackson is trying to kill the Queen of England in uh, the Naked Gun movie, and like that that part is one of the more sensible parts of the entire film. Sure, uh, like, you know, like how many times does O.J. Simpson sustain fatal injuries in like the first <laughs> like two minutes of Naked Gun two and a half? Right, it's like the answer to that question is like seven or eight. Right, it's it's very human cartoon, uh, and and that's it's even though Will Ferrell does do that in his own movies, like it's not as rapid fire, it's not as thoroughly dissociated from the expectation that these events ought to have some sort of human human causality right there's also something there's also something to be said for um in the will ferrell movies he's the star and he's the most ridiculous person in the movie pretty much whereas in the abrams zucker abrams or uh zucker abrams zucker movies typically the the lead actors are far and away the least ridiculous people you know, like uh, whatever his name is, who plays Ted Stryker in Airplane, he plays that part relatively straight. He's not the guy who's running around in the back, being like, you know, I can make a, I can make a hat, I can make a birdie, I can make, <laughs> you know, they, they they bring that guy in for five seconds. I love that guy. <laughs> or Lloyd, Bridge, or hate, Lloyd right? Bridges, go, you know, yeah, pick the wrong day to quit sniffing glue. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that actually one of the things that, uh, that goes wrong with the latter-day uh, airplane-ish movies is that they lose that serious core, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that they, they turned out to be relying on, like, had they only known. That's really insightful. Like, I really love that way of looking at it, that the main character 
the protagonist of these Zucker, Abram Zucker movies or what have you is the straight man and everybody else is a comedian. And the reason that Leslie Nielsen does so well in these things is that he's funny and he's a kooky dude and he helps establish the reality that you're in. But he's very grounded in his performance, especially in his earlier movies. Like, like he can just take that character right back and just deadpan it, like totally solidly deadpan it, have a, have a totally honest and straightforward reaction to the craziness that's happening around him. Like, yeah, like, like that one, yeah. And and 90% of the line readings that he does, you could take that isolated and, like, slap it into, you know, um, The Postman Always Rings Twice or any other hard-boiled detective movie. Especially that time time, uh, when he says to Anna Nicole Smith, she says, is this some kind of bust? And and, uh, he says, very impressive, yes. I was thinking of that exact same moment because it's like what he says there is like that's a that line could exist in, in Dragnet. Sure. Right. Or, just uh, not in that context. The other, the other one from that scene, I think, is when she's up on the ladder and, and uh, he says, nice beaver. And she hands down that's a, a taxidermied beaver. <laughs> she says, thanks. I, just I think that, stuffed. That, that, <laughs> that's Priscilla Presley in uh, – oh. that's not Anna Nicole Smith. Oh. Uh, but, and also the bus line was, is also con- in uh, Police Squad. I guess I was conflating those two movies in my head. They all kind of run together for me at a yeah. certain point, I guess. Yeah, um, they kind of do. Though, I don't know. Of course, one of the great things about the Zucker movies is that they're episodic, and they have smaller parts that jump uh, from one part to the other part. And so here in the Overthinking Podcast, we decided to, uh, in order to create an artistic challenge for ourselves, create a technical difficulty that has forced us to continue <laughs> in an entirely different direction from what we've previously been talking about. So I was thinking, in order to get as far as possible from Leslie Nielsen and allow him to rest, I talk about naked Jake Gyllenhaal for a little bit. Uh, I saw saw I saw the movie Love and Other Drugs this weekend. Uh, I love it. I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. I got into a long discussion with a bunch of people about whether it was like the best um, X of all X and whatnot, uh, determining, of course, that the the subgenre that it might be the best of, it's, if it's the best of anything, is like very contemporary formulaic rom-coms uh, because if you would expand the genre too much, you actually invite too many actually good movies into it. Um, but it, I felt – and this, this is something that you guys are both uh, fairly um, – well-versed in the art of communicating with other human beings in real life. Uh, Jordan is even married. Um, I would say I that don't like the- people. <laughs> what are you I talking about? I don't podcast. Oh. oh, Mark, you uh. love people. But anyway, one of the things I really liked about this movie is that it was a very adult approach to a romantic comedy structure, uh, that the scenes in which the people are together are not put forth in a very insultingly, overly simplified way. Um, for example, they're naked a lot when they're together, which is the thing about this movie that's gotten the most press is, oh, they're naked all the time. But one of the things I like about it is that there are no scenes where, like, Reese Witherspoon has the sheet tucked in under her armpits and she's, like, looking concerned and, like, doesn't want, and, like, doesn't want to talk about what's on her mind. And, like, because they're cheating out perfectly to face the camera, like, the guy who's in bed with her doesn't have any idea that she has making a ridiculous face. Um, they, like, respond more organically to one another in, in the movie, and I like that a lot. Plus, it, it does a good job of... Um, Wait, do you see uh, Hathaway's tatas in this? <laughs> tatas is not the right word that I would use for them. But yeah, yeah, you see her breasts quite a bit in this movie. Yes, she is she is unabashedly nude for much of the movie. I, there's not a, a frontal stuff for anybody. Um, there's a lot of, of butt stuff and there's a lot of breast stuff. Um, 
And so, yeah, so there's a lot of, and there's a lot of sex. Like, there's a lot of, of pretty decent sex scenes in this movie. Like, and all of it serves a purpose, which is, I mean, not all of it. Some of it is, some of it is for fun. Uh, <laughs> now, let me is, tell you, Pete, every what? sex scene in every movie serves a purpose. And that is procreation. <laughs> that, we and overthinking it have a very strict policy on sex, which is if any of our writers, permanent writers or podcasters have sex, it needs to be strictly for procreative reasons because otherwise <laughs> sex is dirty and it is it is sinful so that's why none of us have had any in the past five years uh no 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 um but yeah but i mean i don't know it's tough because i think i'm the only person who saw this movie it was up against harry potter right like i walked up to the movie theater and it was a huge crowd outside crazy huge crowd and uh and these three girls who were standing behind me who were probably like 21 or 22 were like wow are all these people coming to see love and other drugs and i turned around i'm like no the high school kids are going to see harry potter uh nobody's like hey like let's get all our buddies from high school on thanksgiving break and go watch like a stirring romance about parkinson's disease yeah actually that's what i wanted to ask you about is that oh, okay. the conceits of the of the movie, right? Is that she has Parkinson's disease and she's dying, basically, yeah. right? And she, well, no, she's like, not dying. She's not dying. But is, I mean, is it, Parkinson's is a degenerative, degenerative disease, right? Oh yeah. But this is I like mean, she has the Parkinson's conceit of the movie, and this is what propels her in some small way, or, or not in some small way, to propels her to do the things she does in the movie, right? I guess it's it's she's not like a it's not like a La Boheme consumption kind of character where she's like a beautiful flower who will soon be gone from this world. Like she's a young woman who has Parkinson's disease and she's going to have it for a while. Um, she never leaves stage one in the movie. Spoilers. So it's not like it ends with her on her deathbed or anything like that. Um, it's much more of a Jake Gyllenhaal, first of all, is much more the main character than she is. He, she's he's the protagonist and, and she is the love interest in the movie. That's the most stereotypical part of the movie other than the ending, uh, which I won't get into because obviously they love is wonderful. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yay. Um, but the movie is a period piece set in 1996. And the real force that sets the movie forward is that Jake Gyllenhaal is a pharmaceutical rep for Pfizer. Uh, and so he is trying to sell Zoloft to doctors. He's trying to get doctors to prescribe Zoloft. Uh, Hank Azaria plays a wonderful, like, corrupt doctor who, like, extra- extracts perks from the, the pharmaceutical industry to continue to keep doing his business. And, uh, and, like, has a great monologue about how disillusioned he is with the medical profession uh, and how difficult it is to get paid by insurance companies and stuff. Um, but, yeah, but, like, but he and, and Hathaway, of course, has Parkinson's disease and has a lot of problems with the medical establishment and how it works. So she, like, runs seniors to Canada to get generic medications because they can't get them in the United States. So there's this whole, like, back and forth about the pharmaceutical industry. So, yeah, she has Parkinson's disease and she's sick and that motivates a lot of what happens. But, like, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, like, you're dying. Like, oh, it's more like, oh, like, I could not deal with this problem, right? Like, oh, I could go on and live my life and, like, be successful and, like, do my thing and, like, not have to care for this sick person. Or, like, I could be with this person whom I love and care for them as well. And uh, it's to the movie's credit that it doesn't it doesn't take the easy way out of that question until the movie's almost over. <laughs> then it takes the easy way out of the question. But, uh, no, there's, like, an actual stirring scene in the movie where, like, a guy who is the husband of a Parkinson sufferer, like, goes up to Jake Gyllenhaal and is like, you know, if I had it to do over, I wouldn't. Like, I, I, it's, it's just a huge pain, and, like, I just don't like – I mean, she's – I want my wife back, and I'm not going to get her back because the disease is awful, and, and it sucks. And if I were you, I would go find somebody else. Um, it's like that. There's like parts of it that are that are honest about the challenges that people face in dealing with like, you know, these kinds of things. Um, I mean, it's always actually, nice. Yeah. It is always yeah. nice when a romantic comedy is honest about the difficulties inherent in the situation it's set up. 
Like usually it's not something uh, as real world consequential as Parkinson's. Yeah. But usually it's like these two people kind of hate each other. They're horribly mismatched. Yeah. And then at the end it's like, oh, but love conquers all. Yeah. They don't typically like, well, have a scene where it's like this is going to be a nightmare for them for the next like 30 years. And maybe they'll still be happier together than they would be apart. But that doesn't mean they'll be happy together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Reese Witherspoon is a ghost and like <laughs> them having romance has some issues, but like they'll get past it in the next right. hour and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that could be like the platonic uh, sort of romantic comedy title. They'll get past it. <laughs> <laughs> they'll get past it. Yeah. You it's know like, they will. You know they will. <laughs> it's like he's the Sheikh of Qatar and she's a country music singer, but yeah. they'll get past it. <laughs> Like he's been dead for 500 years they'll get past it exactly he's he is actually a humaniform swarm of insects that is indistinguishable from a human being until it eats at which point it splits into minuscule swarming crawly things and reforms itself into dashing philip seymour hoffman they'll get past it <laughs> he is made of pure antimatter. If they ever kiss, not only they, but the world as we know it will explode in a rain of fire. <laughs> they'll but get- they'll get past it. Yeah. They will. It's like, oh, now I want to meet your mom because if I shake her hand, it'll end existence. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, right. Oh, man. And I kind of hate like contemporary rom-coms, although – on Thanksgiving, I did watch Love Actually yet again and cried yet again. Cried at that movie, cried at Love and Other Drugs. It's not fair, man. It's not fair. Um, but that movie's really – All I want for Christmas is you, Pete. Oh, thanks, Marcus. <laughs> uh, here, I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Uh, not slightly okay. different. Let's I'll be honest. Completely. You want to go back and talk about the Tatas? They're very nice. <laughs> no, I want to go back and talk about Leslie Nielsen. No. Oh, okay. Uh, no, really? <laughs> I, I, no, I know. I he has nice too. He shows them off in several of his movies. But yeah. And let me ask uh, very quickly: Is the nudity in Love and Other Drugs equal opportunity? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, it isn't in the sense that there's nothing that. I mean, it depends on whether you think male butt is like equal opportunity with female breast. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like get into you know how many points scored for what body part is revealed. But if you were to go in there as someone primarily attracted to men, would you have some eye candy to ogle at? Oh yes, I mean, I, I know this primarily because I was following the trend on Twitter. But like a lot of the buzz on Twitter was from girls being like, "Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal looks so good naked." Like, "Oh, his butt looks so good," and all of those stuff. Well, um, that's refreshing too, right? Yeah. So, you know, something that everyone can go and skeeve at. Yeah. There's a there are a couple of great sequences in the movie where Jake Gyllenhaal runs around naked for prolonged periods of time in in distress, uh, in like sort of zany fashion, and so those are he's he's trotted around and and objectified for a fair 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 amount of the movie. Um, now she's put on a pedestal pedestal, but he's definitely exploited. So, so uh, yeah, sorry sorry to hijack it, Mark. You were saying yeah. okay. Um, so before I go on to what I want to talk about as well, the the, the phrase like Jake Junk Gyllenhaal. Started to come to mind because I was thinking what, what we were asked dancing oh, really? was, do you see Jake Gyllenhaal's junk? You do not. You do not see anybody's penis in this movie, although they talk about it a lot. There's no Jake but, Junk Gyllenhaal. No, no, no. You don't see Gyllenhaal's. You don't see Jake's Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> well played. Okay. So what, do, I wanted, what I wanted to talk about was you used the phrase '90s period piece. Yes. And I found that turn of phrase by itself to be actually kind of interesting because mm. we haven't heard that. Uh, use a lot, or I guess for that to, to cut too straight to it, there haven't been a lot of '90s period movies that right. have been made, like so, Hotel Rwanda. Yeah, no, there you go. So, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a little different. Hotel yeah, Rwanda is a little different. Yeah. So the question is, like, a how do the movie communicate that sense of it being in the '90s, 
and mm-hmm. B, like how long ago does something have to pass before we can go back to it and make a period something, yeah. a period piece yeah. about that said period? Well, they come out of the blocks really strong and establish it like very, very strongly at the very beginning of oh, the Oh, they dial into AOL? No. <laughs> no, but they play this. <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> no, but he does play the spin doctors on a cassette on a boombox. Like in the very first scene in the movie, it has the – it writes the uh, – the opening credits are in that sort of white pencil uh, font that's used in like – I think it's used in Reality Bites. Um, like, and also like sort of if you think about lyric sheets for grunge bands and how they're, they're written out in the liner notes of CDs, mm-hmm. how like, like uh, the, li- the liner notes for a lot of those CDs are, uh, are sort of written in, in sort of scrawly longhand. Um, no, I guess it's not longhand. It's like, uh, it's print. It's, you know, it's manuscript. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they, they, they pop out with that and they're like 1996 spin doctor song plays Jake Gyllenhaal is holding up a boom box at an electronic store that he's trying to sell with a, a tape in it. And he then is trying to sell a bunch of TVs to people that are playing independence day. Uh, the soundtrack is, is all mid nineties and late nineties stuff. Um, it's about, you know, Zoloft, Prozac, Viagra. There's a lot that's dropped about those drugs. That's like, whether it's known or not at the time, obviously it's important. The reason it's important to be set in there is because if it were set nowadays, like the prevailing mood of malaise would, would not work with the way that the movie is structured because it's about like people who are kind of happy with how things are going, confronting bad things in life. Um, but the the fashion is very is very uh, faithful. Like Jake Gyllenhaal wears these very crisp suits, and uh, Anne Hathaway wears a lot of those sort of like knitted layers with funky hats. And like she lives in kind of like a messy loft that's like very like very. It's all very Winona Ryder in a lot of ways, um, and it's sort of like spunky and rebellious. Like she works at a coffee shop, um, but it's it's in a very it's been very sort of like '90s kind of way. Coffee um, shops are very '90s. Well, Friends, right? That's immediately evocative of Friends. Yeah, yeah, and it's just yeah, especially like sort of independent girl in the city who is like a, an artist. She she like does photo. She does like photojournalism, not photojournalism, but like takes photographic records of the people that she knows that have Parkinson's and like makes collages out of them. Like these are all like tropes from from nineties movies. These sort of like this sort of like a funky free spirit kind of girl who is like sexually independent to a degree that like an eighties heroine would not be, uh, and who like talks crap to dudes and like at the same time is kind of lonely. Um, yeah, and I mean, throughout the movie, there's a lot of cultural references to it. There's a lot of things that you find out that you know because you know that they actually happen, like what side effects drugs turn out to have and, and stuff like that, um, and what turns out to happen in different parts of the industry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess how, lo- how long ago does it have to be? Well, I mean, there's that South Park episode where they find that guy from 1998 frozen in ice, right, or whatever, from 1994. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, no. Oh yeah, they they like put him in a in a, like a this it was made in like 2000 and it's a guy from the mid 90s and they put him in like a, a a sealed chamber with like ID4 posters and Ace of Base music and like flat shirts because they don't want to expose him to the outside world because he'd be too shocked by everything that he'd find there and like they have uh, there's a scene where Jake Gyllenhaal pulls out a cell phone he's like this is the smallest cell phone that we have uh, and it's like a flip phone and it's medium sized mm-hmm. like a flip phone so like I was gonna make that as a joke because the way they always do the 80s right is like the comically large cell phone it's yeah. like did he, did he pull out a cell phone that was comically like kind of medium sized? <laughs> yeah, like, no, they, yeah, yeah, they actually did. He's, that. Trying, <laughs> he's trying to sell it to an old lady. But the thing is that they all those things are all in the first like five or ten minutes of the movie. 
which which is really where they belong because you're really firmly establishing the setting and that way and the, like his brother is in the is a dot com entrepreneur like there's a <laughs> lot of other stuff that happens in the first 10 15 minutes of the movie that's really relevant and then it stops being relevant as the movie goes on and it just becomes sort of the time that the movie is taking place so no one no one uh, at the end of the movie gets transferred to new york city to take office in uh, you know one world trade center or anything like that right it, it does it does not it does, it's not like that robert pattison movie which i would spoil um <laughs> you know what i'm talking about right remember me oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no exactly that's exactly what i'm referring to yeah. it doesn't end with them like uh taking out a mortgage on a house bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I will say that it ends with Jake, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal leaving pharmaceuticals and deciding to become a uh, become an, a screenwriter, and he's going to start on like a fifteen year long crazy project called Avatar. <laughs> that is, yeah. just, that, that, remember that guy who did The Abyss? Yeah, well, he's doing this movie called Avatar. Oh, it's going to come out in fifteen years. It's going to be awesome. Like Titanic hadn't come out yet when this movie is set. So, um, and Avatar. Era. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think it's a little, the movie does play a little bit fast and loose. Like I think it's supposed to be 1998 when the movie's over and starts in 1996, but there aren't really a lot of time skips. Like it's it's hard to tell exactly when, like the time passes. I think there's one part where they're like six months later, um, but I'm, other than that, I'm not so sure. I think that it just sort of acts like a Sopranos episode where you're like never really certain how much time is passing between different episodes or, or different scenes. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think I would say that right now you can make a period piece that happened like in 2002 or 2003. But I, but you would have to make it very, very specifically about events from that time. And if you wanted to do something that was more atmospheric, which is sort of like what this movie is, you really have to jump back like at least like eight, at least ten years. Yeah, I was about to say because like if you go back to 2002, 2003, then inevitably you're like again in the shadow of 9/11. Yeah. Quite, you know, like the atmospheric. I think is a good word that you use there, right? Yeah. Um, that yeah yeah so well more than 10 years right so let's say even like well 15 years is about what oh it's pushing on 15 years what uh the time frame you're looking at yeah. is, right? i would also say what you need to have is you need to have cultural touchstones that you can reference so there needs to be enough time for the trends to realize themselves then for people to make the movies that are actually from the period that are based on those trends right which usually takes a couple years right like reality bites is really is like you know a year or two behind the events that and aesthetics that it's actually talking about like then that movie has to get popular Right, and then like there have to be a bunch of imitators that have come out that try to ape its uh, its its uh, its its style and its aesthetic, and then it has to like fall out of favor and get tired, and then we have to have a fairly reasonably long period of time where movies like that don't come out, mm. and then we reference them. So we're not just referencing 1996, and we're not just referencing 1996 as we all experienced it. We're referencing 1996 as it exists as like a fictional space in, in movies like uh, With Honors, right, with like uh, Brendan Fraser and Joe Pesci and like all that other stuff. Like like we're going back to, to other movies and other cultural things that had people who dressed like this and acted like this and had these kinds of concerns uh, and where it's a fictional it's like almost like something it's like a, something that it's like the Hooniverse or like you know Trek continuity like 1996 is like a fictional universe that has been created in movies um, that will, we can continue to make movies in but you have to make the first ones first you know what I mean before you right, continue right. yeah 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 like so very, very very quickly you you stop being nostalgia nostalgic for the thing and start being nostalgic for the way that you used to think about the thing 
Exactly. So like if there if there's a time period and there aren't any great movies that have been made about the time period yet, um, it's going to be pretty tough to make like a, a nostalgic period piece about it. Like you might be able to make a movie about something that happened then that then becomes the touchstone, but it won't feel like an, a period piece really unless like you have those sort of fashion things that you can reference and and sort of personal comportment issues that can come out front and, and be easy to recognize. What I find interesting about this is that it, I feel like it's only been a few years now that we're seeing the the Ronco record vault uh, of of the '90s. You know, like what is that? Buzz ballads where they're uh, they're putting out things. And I'm like, I remember when that was on the radio. Like, oh my god, I feel so old. You're trying to yeah. sell me like the the greatest power ballads of the grunge era, and I, I just stab my ears. Yeah, but I guess, I, I, yeah. It must be like referencing some kind of similar cultural moment, right? We've gotten that distance from the '90s, where yeah, where definitely. That... Yeah. yeah, we we so had to finish the Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden is now on the classic rock radio station. Yeah, it plays during yeah. a sex scene that they have. Really? Well, no, Black Hole Sun. No, no, it doesn't. That would be awful. <laughs> that'd be horrifying. Why would you do that? <laughs> Black Hole Sun. Oh, I don't you know, come. to express the, the bleak nature of Anne Hathaway's soul or something. They do. She, she does take off her shirt while they're playing Spoon Man. And... <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell when you're kidding or not. They don't play songs like that in this movie. They play fun ones. They play fun songs. Like what, um, what kind of songs do they play? I'm curious. Oh, the one over the credits is like the the song that goes and it makes me a lot of songs like that. And like the Span Doctors was in there and like oh gosh, it's like I think there's some there are there there's no dance hits or anything like that. Is there like do they go to a concert during the movie? I'm trying to cuz cuz there's like they go see uh when when it's in in uh, up in the air, they go see um, is it Bismarcky or no? They go see the uh, uh, young MC right do Bust a Move. Uh, young MC. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he shows up at like a trade conference because that's a different kind of period piece where like they're just older <laughs> and they're like remembering Young MC and they show him as old. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot that happens in this movie. By the way, like it's a pretty complex movie, so it's kind of hard, especially since my internet connection is working that great right now, to like actually remember everything that happens in it. Um, oh no! They, you know what it is? The Macarena is in it. That's oh. right. There's a big Macarena. Oh, scene. interesting. There, there's oh. like a, there's a big scene where they where Jake Gyllenhaal has been recruited by the pharmaceutical company and he's being fed the Kool Aid so that he can get all amped up about selling Pfizer products and like a bunch of chicks in skimpy outfits come out and do the Macarena and like all the pharma rep, pharmaceutical reps do the Macarena with them. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. That was what I was thinking about. Yeah, the Macarena um, that happened. Yeah, it did. It did. So we can we can look forward in ten years to a romantic comedy that will end with Lou Bega's Mambo Number Five. Oh, if we can only dream! <laughs> Definitely. Know, Twenty years for one with uh, Crank That Soldier Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. Dude, get started on the Soldier Boy biopic. Like, make that happen. <laughs> it's gonna be called Tell 'Em. Is what it's gonna be called. <laughs> Soldier Boy, only you can save Earth from the aliens. It'll be but called. I can't uh, tell them about the aliens. No, you can only use music. <laughs> It'll be called the soldierboybiopic.com. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so, should, should we take a ship home, Pete? Should we steer yeah. the space dock? Take me is? home tonight. I don't want to let you go till we see the light. 
that's not from that period, but it'll work. So let's 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 keep on trucking before our technology decides to rise up and become self-aware again and kick us off the the stream here. So kick us off the Skype. Yeah. So should we wrap the show? We were without rather. So in case you're wondering why the hell we're we're screwing around like this, it's because rather dropped off the call earlier due to the technical difficulties. Cats is to away as mice is to play. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, no, I think that, that I think we've we've covered enough ground. I mean, I'm a little bit sad because of Leslie Nielsen dying. I ain't gonna lie. I'm also a little bit sad because I watched a bunch of sappy movies this weekend, and I'm also a little bit sad because I ate way too much, and I'm kind of feeling a little sick. So we're a little bit somber. It's like a mellow overthinking a podcast. It's like a chill overthinking a podcast. Maybe maybe we can put this thing to bed and tuck it in and just, just give a nice bedtime story and, and a little song. <laughs> And then tell the kids that we sent it to a farm upstate. <laughs> I like the way you think, Stokes. Before you go to before you go to bed, you should comment on the on the show notes on the website, or leave us a voicemail or a text message at two zero three two eight five six four zero one. I hope that's the right number. Twenty fat jog zero one. What it is? What else should we do, Pete? Oh, what you should really do is. Accept Jesus as your Lord and say, "Wait, no, sh- <laughs> trap! No, I'm sorry, I have some other podcast that I do for, for the eighty-five hundred club." Um, no, 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 no. What you should do in order to get this kind of content, which will rock your face off and change your world forever, is visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't We'll get past it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>